One of the great joys of being a father is growing up right alongside your children. The gun goes off at birth. Neither party has a head start or a clue what to do, so we just wing it. My son Jeremiah and I stumbled along together in this fashion, and in the end both of us became more or less functioning adults. It was a joyous, if slightly bewildering, ride, and I think parenting is probably where the phrase deer in the headlights comes from. As I look back through all of our escapades, checking off the points along the learning curves, I realize that most of our teachable moments together consisted of learning what not to do. And, based on the logbooks, this often took more than one attempt. I wouldn't have it any other way. Although Jeremiah's mother, my wife Karen, might well argue otherwise. Hi there. I'm Peter Lewis, father, grandfather, writer, storyteller. You're listening to The Dad Story Project, a podcast dedicated to two simple themes, that we find the most fulfillment in the ordinary events of every day, and that the currency of childhood is time. Our children and grandchildren don't want more stuff. They just want us. Today's story is called The Crash of 97. I've never been all that good at math. The only way I can balance my checkbook is to place it on a flat surface. And when it comes to wacky schemes concocted with my son Jeremiah, the math gets really complicated, and the whole often turns out to be less than the sum of the parts. What do you get when you add a 37-year-old and a 12-year-old? About two nine-year-olds. The year was 1997, and the idea was simple. They always are. Take several busted skateboards apart, combine them into a custom kamikaze road luge thing using some old plywood, and try to break the sound barrier by towing the luge thing and its intrepid pilot behind a bicycle with a length of frayed clothesline. So we spent a pleasant early summer afternoon cobbling the contraption together fumbling with crescent wrenches, cordless drills, and power saws, debating windshield designs, and discussing the various aerodynamic advantages of chicken wire and burlap versus cardboard and duct tape. We didn't make any prototype or do any testing. We just went for it, relying on reflexes, spray paint, and the hubris of past catastrophes to give us a reasonable margin of danger. We decided early on to go without steering or brakes. The right stuff was assumed. After peanut butter sandwiches, release waivers, and mandatory drug tests, please pee in this cup, young fellas, we took our rigs out to the local salt flats, the road next to the house, and tied the luge thing to the seat post of my 10-speed bicycle with about 30 feet of the aforementioned ratty clothesline, which we had stolen from Mom. Wearing no protective gear of any kind, Jeremiah sat down on our new death sled and gave me a hearty thumbs up. I took the slack out of the system, clicked into my toe clips, and off we went. Over my shoulder, I gave the boy some final instructions. If you get into trouble, just scream! The first three seconds went great. Then the troubles began. At 13 miles per hour, I know this because I had a handlebar-mounted computer thingy, 
Some instability crept into the system, and the dreaded wobblies began. The death sled began to weave back and forth and tip dangerously from side to side. This sort of instability is common when launching the space shuttle, and is usually of short duration, clearing up nicely once sufficient velocity is reached. "'No!' the boy shouted. "'Go!' I heard and pedaled faster. "'It will smooth out!' I yelled optimistically, remembering a similar problem with my 1969 Mustang, although that happened at about 80 miles per hour. At T plus 12 seconds and 19 miles per hour, the wobblies got so severe that I could feel the clothesline alternately going slack and tight as it began ringing my rear tire right to left and back again. Like most engineers with an unlimited expense account, I figured more would be better, so I stood up on the pedals and pushed harder. Jeremiah continued to shout encouragement from back in the slipstream, although the wind roaring in my ears was so loud I couldn't quite make out the exact words. At 27 miles per hour, the luge went violently out of control, and Jeremiah's gloveless knuckles, which had been gripping the edges of the plywood chassis, began to alternately grind against the asphalt as the vehicle racked back and forth. Left hand, then right hand, then left again, leaving little skid marks of bloody tissue on the pavement. Thinking like a trained test pilot, the boy quickly improvised, and just after the first tendons were exposed, he let go, leaned backwards, fell off, and began tumbling toward a ditch. Hearing the grating commotion, I instinctively jammed on the brakes. The luge thing, now sans pilot and suddenly stable, zoomed past me on the left. Eek! I shouted, without a hint of panic. I let off the brakes and pedaled frantically after the plywood runaway, while E. Coyote-like, but it was too little too late. The death sled came to the end of its terrible leash directly in front of me, and the taut clothesline jerked the sled violently sideways to a skidding stop. <coughs> Bewildered, I did absolutely nothing, and hit the cattywampus sled dead on. The bicycle rose skyward, turned gracefully nose over tail, and my feet stayed obediently in their toe clips despite my frantic gyrations to wrench them out. For one quiet moment, as I tumbled south, I got an upside-down view of my son, behind me in the ditch, bleeding and retching. Then my lights flickered out. During the debriefing meeting with Halliburton and Boeing, we discussed what we might do differently in the future. An ejection seat for the sled pilot was denied. Too expensive, the folks in the suits told us but the next time we'll give the pilot a knife so he can cut the clothesline. The crash of 97 became a famous father and son tale, and like all grand stories, the embellishment came easily. The sled speed gradually increased into the high 30s, the knuckle grinding went down to the bone, the bicycle launch gained altitude and cleared a privet hedge. And no one could argue, because there was no video evidence. My checking account was overdrawn at the time, so we couldn't afford helmet cams. So I just listened to this, and I can already hear the pushback. How could you be so irresponsible? What a dumb idea. Exposed tendons? Uh, hey, that part was actually artistic license. And I get it. Yes, Jeremiah should have worn work gloves. 
And sure, there should have been a drag chute, and we should have asked permission to use the clothesline. But we almost pulled it off. And look, I was just 37 at the time, and pretty darn impressionable. And my boy was just so gung-ho about the idea. Anyway, Jeremiah is a professional engineer now, so we both lived through our collective childhoods. And you should see the zip line he built in his backyard for his two little daughters. Of course, he did ask his wife, Jenny, for permission. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dad Story Project podcast. If you would like to show your support, please give us a good rating and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about the Dad Story Project, download stories, and find out how you may be able to participate, please visit thedadstoryproject.com. And please like us on Facebook and tell your family and friends. Until next time, bye for now.